In this podcast, I'm going to be revising the reactions of the big three, France, Britain, America, and the reaction of Germany as well to the Treaty of Versailles that was signed in 1919. So as we revise um, the reactions of the different countries to the Treaty of Versailles, um, it's worth thinking about the aims that each country had during the negotiations in in the Paris Peace Conference. Um, Countries would react more positively to the treaty if they felt that their aims going into the negotiations had been met. Countries would therefore logically react negatively if they felt that their aims um, had not been met when the treaty finally um, came out. So if we start off with France and look at the French reaction to the Treaty of Versailles, we might want to consider first what Clemenceau's aims were um, when the negotiations in Versailles started. So Clemenceau wanted overall to punish Germany and punish Germany harshly. And part of this, of course, was about getting revenge on Germany for the fact that Germany had invaded France now twice in the space of 50 years. The Franco-Prussian War, 1870 to 1871. And then, of course, the First World War of 1914 to 1918. French industry, agriculture, uh, transport had been very badly damaged by by the uh, German forces. And, of course, France had suffered a great number of casualties. um, Many men killed, many men wounded. And so France's aims were to charge Germany a high reparations figure, around about £12 billion, to remove Germany's overseas empire, to reduce Germany's territory within Europe, and to cut Germany's army and navy significantly to ensure they couldn't invade uh, France in the future. Now, some of these aims were met by the terms of the treaty. For example, Germany lost um, Alsace-Lorraine, which was returned to to France. Obviously, the French would be satisfied um, with that. The Saarland, the area of Western Germany, very close to France, that contained a lot of Germany's um, coal, iron and steel, was handed over to the League of Nations to administer. And in reality, it was administered um, by France up until um, 1935. So again, there'd be a high degree of satisfaction with that. And of course, talking about Western Germany, that huge area um, in the western part of Germany that borders France, what's called the Rhineland, German forces were not allowed to go into that territory. It was a demilitarised zone. So the idea that Germany um, would be able to launch an invasion from that area um, was was, um, unlikely that Germany would would be able um, to do that. So all those things would have satisfied um, the French. However, Clemenceau had gone into the treaty negotiations hoping that the treaty would go further than that hoping that Germany would be um, split up into lots of little states, which didn't happen, that the Rhineland would be permanently taken um, off Germany, which again um, didn't happen, and that the Saarland would be handed over to to France permanently, and again, that that didn't happen. Also, Clemenceau was concerned about the size of the German army. Germany was still allowed an army up to 100,000 men, and he felt that was too big. Um, In terms of Germany's empire, France would have uh, been happy, would have been very content, very satisfied with what happened to Germany's empire. Germany lost all of its colonies, and indeed some of those colonies were picked up by the French as well. Land in Cameroon and Togo ended up in in the French empire. The reparations um, settlement, of course, didn't actually happen until 1921, and it came in at £6 billion, much, much lower than what the French had wanted. So there was a high degree of satisfaction. Overall, the French demand for revenge, the feeling in France was is that that desire had not really been met 
by the treaty that the general view in France was that the treaty was too soft on Germany. How do we know that? Well, in the next uh, election after the Treaty of Versailles um, was um, was signed, Clemenceau's party actually lost the the French elections and Clemenceau was out of power. And part of the reason for that was because it was seen, um, well, considered by the French people that the Treaty of Versailles had been too soft on Germany, had not been harsh enough. So I think overall, France's reaction to the treaty was that, yes, there were areas of satisfaction, but overall, there was a sense that the treaty hadn't gone far enough. It's worth now considering um, America's reaction to the um, publication of the Treaty of Versailles, um, because Woodrow Wilson, the American president's aims going into the treaty were very, very different to the aims of George Clemenceau. Um, Wilson's aims were much more idealistic. He wanted to create a League of Nations that would act as an international body to try and prevent war in the future. He wanted countries to disarm. He wanted the breakup of empires um, under the banner of the uh, principle of national self-determination. And he wanted free trade and freedom of, of the seas. Um, if you're being cynical, he wanted some of those things because, of course, they would weaken the British and French empires who were America's um, main um, rivals. So let's have a think about how um, the treaty then um, stands up to what, what Wilson wanted um, during the negotiations. So one of the key elements of the Treaty of Versailles was it did indeed set up um, a League of Nations. So Wilson would have been extremely happy with, uh, with that. But remember, we're not just looking at the reaction of the three politicians, Clemenceau, Wilson and Lloyd George, were looking at the reaction of the countries themselves and not just the person. Um, a lot of Americans actually were not particularly in favour of the idea of a League of Nations. Going into the 1920s, there was a strong um, mood amongst Americans to stay aside from events in, in, in Europe and keep apart from events in Europe. This is, this is the famous foreign policy that is called isolationism, the idea that America would isolate itself off um, from European affairs. And therefore, many Americans in that spirit of isolationism, didn't want America to get involved in the League of Nations. And this partly explains why um, Wilson's opposition party, the Republican Party, Wilson was a Democrat, his opponents were the Republicans, they campaigned heavily against the um, League of Nations. Uh, and indeed, they campaigned against the signing of the Treaty of Versailles. So when the treaty went to the American Senate, which is part of America's Congress, a bit like our Parliament, the American Senate refused to ratify, refused to approve the Treaty of Versailles, and therefore America did not approve of, of, of that treaty that Wilson had helped to negotiate. As a result of that, um, America never joined the League of Nations, which is um, highly ironic, bearing in mind that it was Woodrow Wilson's um, idea. So disarmament then. Well, some countries did did disarm. The Treaty of Versailles did force Germany and Germany's allies um, to disarm. So on one level, that, that may well have pleased um, Wilson in, in the sense that his aims were met. However, it is worth noting that apart from Germany's um, allies, no other countries um, did have to um, disarm. So I, I think the reaction from Wilson there would have been um, rather mixed. Similarly with national self-determination. Though some empires were broken up as a result of the Treaty of Versailles. Uh, the three obvious examples are Germany, the Austro-Hungarian Empire and the Turkish Empire. 
And indeed, it is true that people living within those empires did get national self-determination. Um, a good example of that would be Poland, for example. Poles who had once lived in the German, Austrian and Russian empires now got their own country, Poland. Um, Arabs li living in the Ottoman Empire now got their own um, independent um, states and there was a similar process in the Austro-Hungarian Empire as well with countries like Czechoslovakia and Poland um, and Yugoslavia as well. However, the winning uh, countries in the First World War, um, their empires remained. So the British Empire, the French Empire, the Belgian Empire, the Japanese Empire, the Italian Empire, all these empires remained. In fact, um, because of the dividing up of Germany's colonies, um, and uh, the Ottoman Empire as well. These these empires actually got bigger as a result of the Treaty of Versailles. So within the British Empire, for example, there was no national self-determination for people living in the British Empire. And the same was true in the French, Belgian, Italian and Japanese empires. So national self-determination um, for people living in the losing empires, but not for people um, living in the winning empires. So again, I think um, a mixed reaction um, from the point of view of Wilson there. Wilson's final aim, free trade and freedom of the seas. Well, the treaty did not establish an international system of free trade or freedom of the seas, largely because Britain would never um, have agreed to that because Britain's empire um, was strong, partly because of the fact it was a network um, of trade um, backed up by the power of the British Navy, the Royal Navy. So overall, many people in America w would have been unhappy um, with the treaty. Um, Wilson probably thought the treaty was too harsh on Germany. And as I said before, the American people themselves didn't really want to get overly involved in um, the League of Nations. Wilson's other concern with the treaty was that by it, by it being so harsh, it would eventually lead to resentment amongst the Germans and this might lead to Germany starting a war um, in, in the future. So overall, um, Wilson's reaction was probably more dissatisfied than satisfied. So what I want to do now is look at Britain's reaction to the treaty. And again, I want to stress the importance of looking at both Lloyd George's reaction, but also the reaction of Britain more generally, because, of course, Lloyd George's aims were slightly different to what perhaps the British people might have wanted from the treaty. Lloyd George was probably nearer to Wilson um, in terms of his thinking about not punishing Germany too harshly because this would lead to war in the future. Lloyd George was also concerned about crippling Germany's economy to the point where Germany wouldn't be able to buy British goods and therefore that would have a, a knock-on effect on the British economy. Lloyd George also saw some benefits in having a, a strong-ish Germany to act as a barrier to communism spreading um, from east to west out, out of Russia. Um, on the other hand, the British people, if you go off certain bits of evidence, for example, some of the speeches that were made during the general election campaign at the end of 1918 in Britain. Some British people clearly wanted to punish Germany for what had happened during the war and for the large numbers of British men who were killed or injured um, during the war. So, so we have to proceed here with a little bit, a little bit of care. Um, when the treaty was signed, the general feeling in Britain was overall, it was a relatively fair treaty uh, and perhaps could have been a little bit harsher. And for those people who thought the treaty should have been uh, used as a chance to punish Germany, there was obviously a little bit of dissatisfaction there that the treaty um, was not was not more harsh. Having said that, when Lloyd George returned to London um, from Paris after the treaty w was was agreed, he was actually um, 
received back in Britain um, with kind of like hero status. So it, 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 it's also probably true that many people thought that Lloyd George um, had done a good job. It's also worth noting in the context of what you revised later about the 1930s and appeasement that by the time you get to the end of the 1920s and into the early 1930s, there is a general view amongst the British people, or at least some British people, that the treaty is actually too harsh. And therefore, when Hitler gets into power and starts demanding land, that the Germans are not being unreasonable. This is an entirely reasonable response to the fact the treaty was too harsh. So reactions and feelings and attitudes towards the treaty in Britain um, certainly changed between 1919 and, say, the mid-1930s. Um, if we have a look at some of the um, um, specifics, one of the things that Lloyd George was particularly worried about was that Germany had been given... Germany had, had lost so much land to Poland. A huge chunk of eastern Germany was given um, to Poland, the Polish corridor, uh, in particular West Prussia and Posen. And Lloyd George um, felt that this weakened um, Germany um, too much and would eventually lead to Germans feeling resentful and bitter about the treaty and this would create nationalist sen sentiment or feeling in Germany that might lead um, to a desire for revenge, which in turn would lead to a Second World War. Lloyd George famously said um, at the time, in private, we will have to fight another war in 25 years' time and at three times the cost. So even Lloyd George himself thought the treaty was too harsh and would lead to a Second World War. And of course, um, that's exactly what happened. Um, although it wasn't 25 years' time, it was, it was 20 years' time. Um, in terms of the reparations settlement, Lloyd George um, felt the reparations were too harsh. Um, he was particularly concerned about the fact that Germany was a key market for buying, for purchasing British exports, British goods um, that were sold abroad. Germany was a big, big market for British goods. He was worried that by crippling Germany, it would weaken their ability um, to buy British goods. But also he was worried as well that re reparations would again create resentment and bitterness, bitterness amongst the Germans and this would lead to a desire for revenge and, and another war. Were there then elements of the treaty that, that Lloyd George or the British people would have been pleased with? Well, I think there were probably two uh, areas that stand out here. Britain's strength as a country at this time came from two things. It, its huge empire and the huge navy that propped up um, that empire. So the fact that the German navy was reduced down to just six battleships would have pleased um, Lloyd George and I, I think probably would have pleased um, British people more widely. And the second thing was was Germany's colonies. Um, Germany lost all its colonies and um, Britain and the British Empire picked up quite a few of those colonies, um, particularly in Africa. And again, I think Lloyd George would have been pleased with that overall. Lastly, I want to look at what um, Germany's reaction to the treaty was like. Now, this area of study is a lot, uh, lot simpler. Um, Germany saw the Treaty of Versailles for the first time in May of 1919 and was given a short period of time to study the treaty and come up with a reaction to it. They did sign the treaty in June of 1919, but just because Germany signed the treaty uh, in June 1919 doesn't mean that they liked the treaty. There was some discussion in Germany about the severity of the treaty. And don't forget, Germany had signed the armistice in November 1918 on the basis that a peace settlement would be based on Wilson's 14 points, which they thought was a more lenient, uh, a slightly softer approach um, um, to peace. And 
they felt that the treaty went far beyond Wilson's aims and corresponded more closely to the aims of Clemenceau and Lloyd George um, to, to France and to Britain. So there was even at some point in, in that time period between seeing the treaty and signing it, there was some talk about not signing it. Now, in reality, that was just a non-starter. Um, had Germany uh, not signed the treaty, um, then the Allies would have invaded um, Germany. Germany's economy had collapsed by this time. It was in political um, chaos. Um, there were a number of uprisings um, at the end of 1918 going into 1919. Um, the British naval blockade at the end of World War One had led to severe shortages um, of goods inside Germany, and there was really no basis for Germany to, to start um, a war again. So in reality, Germany had no choice but to sign the treaty. What angered the Germans in particular was not just that the treaty was, was harsh in their opinion, but of course that Germany had not been invited to the Paris Peace Conference, so that the Germans had had absolutely no say in the terms of the treaty. So the feeling amongst the Germans was this had been a treaty that had been dictated to them, forced upon them, imposed on them. And that's why the German uh, newspapers and politicians referred to it as a diktat, um, as a dictated piece forced against, uh, on them against their will because they were not at Versailles um, to negotiate um, the treaty. And not only were they not able to negotiate it, but the treaty was far harsher than what they'd expected and far harsher than what they thought they were agreeing to in November 1918. So the German reaction amongst many politicians, newspapers, the people, was the treaty was both unjustified and unfair, and it was a diktat. And of course, this came in some respects at the worst possible time for Germany um, because it led to um, a movement on the right wing of German politics amongst German nationalists that by signing the treaty, the socialist government of Germany had let the German nation down. And we get the classic, what we call the stab in the back myth, a myth perpetrated by uh, politicians on the extreme right of German politics, nationalist politicians who argue that the socialist government in Germany um, of Friedrich Ebert um, that came to power at the end of 1918, early 1919, had stabbed Germany in the back by signing the treaty. Now, in many respects, this was utter nonsense because, as I've already argued, that the, the German government did not really have any choice. Not signing was really not, not, not an option. They had to sign it. But then this is used against them by groups such as the Freikorps, who, who attempt an illegal seizure of power in 1920 called the Cap Putsch, and the Nazis... Um, led by Hitler, who attempt a violent seizure of power in 1923 in Munich. Both of those attempts fail, but they both clearly show that nationalist politicians were using the Treaty of Versailles um, to claim that the German government had let the German people down. And in particular, they target socialists, communists, and in the case of the Nazis, there's also blame attributed to, to Jewish politicians as well. And we start to see that anti-Semitism um, coming about from the extreme right um, in German politics. Of course, the second impact um, that the treaty had, of course, was on Germany's economy. Germany's economy was already um, very severely damaged by the end of the First World War. And of course, from 1921, they're now being charged a huge amount of reparations, 6.6 um, billion pounds. They are able to pay the first instalment, but then they fail to pay the second one. And in early 1923, France and Belgium invade the Ruhr, an industrial region of Western Germany, rich in natural resources, in order to take those resources back to France and Belgium um, to cover the fact that Germany is not able to pay the reparations. In turn, 
German workers go on strike as part of a campaign of passive resistance against the French and the Belgians, which means that productivity and production and output of goods in Germany um, collapses. In response to this, the German government um, prints more paper money, which leads to the famous hyperinflation of 1923, which left many people economically devastated, particularly people who had had savings, people who thought they were relatively well off, saw their um, their wealth completely wiped out by the hyperinflation. So the impact of the treaty on Germany itself um, was very, very harsh. So I think we can probably understand why many Germans felt extremely dissatisfied with the contents um, of the treaty. Um, so as you can see, I've looked at four countries' reaction. I've looked at the three allies, uh, France, America and Britain. I've also looked at the defeated nation, Germany, and you can see there's obviously a range um, of, of reactions. In the case of Britain, France and America, the reactions are quite mixed to the treaty because the treaty is a compromise and therefore there are elements they're happy with and elements that they're discontented with. In the case of Germany, it's much more straightforward. Most Germans felt the treaty was unfair, unjustified and a diktat. <laughs>